Let's just take a minute. This is a, a moment where we just need to surrender ourselves to Him and just cry out to Him right now. Just let your worship supersede all your thoughts. Let your worship supersede all your fears. Let your worship supersede all the distraction of the day, the week, the moments. And let's just honor Him. I almost just see this picture of each and every one in this room, each and every one watching this today. I just see people reaching higher than they've ever reached before, knowing and choosing to honor and to worship Him with everything inside of them, knowing that He is the answer to everything, knowing that He is the great God, knowing it, that He is the great Redeemer, knowing that He is the one who can end depression, knowing He is the one who can end our financial issues, knowing He is the one right now who can bring healing to all those who need healing. We reach out to You, the Most High, the most high. There is none like you, Lord. We can declare that right now as the family of God. There is none like you. None. Thank you, Jesus. All glory, all honor to your name. The name of Jesus Christ. There is none like you. None. Mm. We want to welcome you to Spruce Grove Community Church. Everybody in house today, we're so glad you're here. Everybody watching online, we pray that our Lord Jesus Christ would touch you right where you're at. We know He can. We know who He is. And He can do that today for each person watching. Whether you're in Africa, Canada, the United States, it doesn't matter. He's a God who can touch you right where you're at. This morning, do you know, if we can build our faith up a little bit, I want to give you a small testimony. I got an email from Della Ray. Mr. Rick Ray is walking around. The prayers of the church shift and change things. The faith of the church changes everything. And this morning, if we can come into a place where we place everything aside and choose to put our faith in Him, we are going to see shift. We are going to see transformation. We are going to see healing. We are going to see deliverance. We are going to see revival. We are going to see an end to this COVID. If we choose to put our faith and our trust in Him. So, Father... As we come into the house this morning, everything is laid down. Everything is laid down, and we choose to honor you. We choose to put our faith into you right now. We choose to worship you because we know it changes things. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship him this morning with every single thing in us. Can we do that? Every single thing in us because it brings change. Everything in us today, let's choose that right now. Everything, everything we give to you, Father. Let's worship him. Father, we pray that we could not only by faith say that you deserve it all, 
But Father, that we would be prepared to relinquish it all, to give it all, to lay it all down. Father, we want to be the generation that seeks your face. Father, release on us a sense of the importance of the moment in which we live. No holds barred. Lord, I pray today, friends, if you're watching online or here in the room, that this would be more than any other time, a time of abandonment. You know, the disciples did not know what was coming. And so for a long time, they were, they were enjoying, of course, the ministry of Jesus, listening to his words, but not realizing there was coming a time when they could no longer hide behind his leadership and present example, that they, in a manner of speaking, would go live, that they would take the center place in history. They would take the main part of the stage, and Jesus would become essentially invisible, that the head of the body would take a back seat, and suddenly the body would be there. And Jesus knew this moment was coming. He knew that their faith would no longer be, be, be being prepared, but their faith would now take center stage. And in those last hours, as he's approaching the cross, he says, listen, pray, 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 pray. You don't understand what's coming upon you. You don't understand the hour that is coming upon you. And the church today has not understood the hour that they have been in. And though the prophetic voices have cried out and cried out and cried out, we interpreted delay as false prophecy. But God has say, been saying, get ready. Get ready, get ready, get ready, because your faith that has been tried is about to take center stage. No longer an hour to pray, but now, now the conflict of faith, the clash of kingdoms is upon you. Now all the dividends pay for this moment. This moment will speak to whether you have taken the hour or not. Oh, take the most. Make the most of every moment. Lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. That a sense of abandonment would come upon your people. Uh, you know, there's so much that could be said in this moment, but I'm going to conclude this entire this moment with this exhortation. It's time to stop playing the crowd. It's time to stop 
wondering who understands and who might not, who might misinterpret my faith. You know, one of the things that's always taxing about Jesus is he didn't care who understood him. Even with his disciples, he said things that were not understandable, that were not understood. But so much of the church lives looking back at the world and saying, making sure they understand everything. When God is saying, listen, go dive headlong into the mystery of God. Dive headlong into what is not understood. Quit worrying about trying to be understood by those who don't believe. Jump in. But you... Because we, we mistakenly think their understanding is the key to this. Their understanding is not the key. Your abandonment to this thing is the key. This is supernatural. This is mysterious. This is enigmatic. This takes revelation. And you're trying to coax them into a mystery through their understanding. When God is saying, stop being anchored to the misunderstandings of the unsaved and to the immature and dive into the deep end of the kingdom of heaven. That's what's going to release them. Father, we pray. We know a generation is coming that will be not only unashamed, but unmoved by criticism and by the mocking sounds of the voice of unbelief. Father, we want to be a part of that generation. Oh, God, help us. Amen. Glory to God. So we do have some people in the room, and uh, so glad you can be here. Are you glad you're here? All right. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's hear that. I, I like I like that responsiveness. That's wonderful. This is a live service, after all, right? <laughs> Electric live. Yeah. Anyway, uh, funny thing happened to me on the way to church. I wasn't expecting to speak today, and uh, but then the Lord spoke to me. And I was thinking, you know, what are you doing speaking to me? You should speak to, I won't say whose name it is. I was thinking it was speaking, but I said, you should speak to him. And I thought, I thought, oh, I wonder if I'm on today. And uh, you might think, really, how could you not know that you're speaking? That's because I just don't focus on that. I just always am leaning into what God is trying to say to me. But it was so specific this morning that and so concise when he spoke to me, I was I started to wonder. Oh, maybe I am supposed to say something. Well, as it turns out, I got my dates wrong, and here I am. <laughs> Hallelujah! So, listen, if you're ever doing something with me and I don't give you enough information, all right, I come by that honestly. I am not trying to reduce the amount of communications I'm trying to give to you. I just don't think about it beforehand. You know, I just, uh, I, I, you know, I just don't. I, I remember we went on a, a trip, and this guy, there was a pastor with us uh, I'd never met before. Anyway, he was, uh, 
he was a, a worrywart man. I mean, that guy, he had to know everything. His security was in information. It's like, and so he's asking all kinds of questions. We're in, we're in Russia, you know, we're in the former Soviet Union. We don't speak the language. We're not being told anything, but he's asking every minute what's happened. Like, what's happened? What are we doing after this? And what are we doing after that? And, and on and on and on it went. And I'm thinking, why does he get so much security from knowing where we're going? I mean, there's nothing about the schedule that's secure. Anyway, so I'm just saying. <laughs> I just want to give testimony to what he's saying because there's truth to it, right? I remember one Sunday, I don't know if Di and the other, others remember this, but we were actually in the fellowship hall praying, and we were waiting for Mark because he was on the schedule to preach that Sunday. Well, Mark didn't even show up at church. Mark was in some other country or nation, and none of us knew about it. So let's just say this has happened before. Most importantly, if it's happened to you, realize there's no malice. <laughs> right? Thank you. Thank you. All right. I... I, I wrote down this question. Is this a time of testing or the real thing? Is this a time of testing or the real thing? Because we know there's all kinds of scriptures about testing. I mean, uh, you know, First First Peter 1, 6-8 says this. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That... The genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love. Though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. So there is a, there is a testing and then there's a moment, there's a reason for your test. The, the test is to produce faith, but faith produces something else. Okay, listen. Testing produces faith, but faith has a tactical purpose. Faith is the key to manifesting the kingdom of God on earth. So what's happening then, there's two things happening all the time. Your faith is being tested but at the same time, as it's gaining substance, as it's becoming actual, God leverages that faith to advance his kingdom. So, it could be both of these things happening at the same time. On the other hand, on the other hand, there's a moment where the equity of faith that you have becomes preeminent, important, critical. And the absence of that equity can be damaging to what God wants to do, not only for the overall purpose, but, you know, there is a, there is a surety right there because God always has a backstop. Actually, God always has a backstop. So, in other words, if you don't step up to the plate with your faith, he'll use somebody else. But what happens is you lose your place in the destiny of the kingdom of God. And so the testing is important. But being ready in the moment is important. 
So as I was praying in the worship, they were sharing in the worship, the disciples didn't understand this. They didn't really conceive. They couldn't see the world after this turning moment when Jesus died and, you know, went up to heaven. They couldn't see it, and so they were playing a little loose with the preparation, right? They were really valuing, especially these last critical moments. Like, he said, listen, pray that you do not enter into temptation, Pray because an atmosphere that is, uh, that is contrary to your faith, contrary to all the convictions, contrary to the bubble that I'm presently providing for you by my example and my faith, there's coming a moment when that bubble's no longer going to be there and I'm not going to be the intermediary between you and the kingdom of darkness. It's going to be against you primarily. And so that shift is going to happen. And let me tell you, that shift on some, in some level happens in every single one of our lives. And you may not be ready for it. You may, you may not even know. You may not even be able to imagine because between you and the conflict that is always going on, there are actually layers of protection. And so you just say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I believe I believe, but you actually, your faith hasn't been tested. You haven't taken center stage in the testing of this yet. But what if that moment is coming and you don't know? Then you're going to wish, like that, that high school student, the day of the exam, I should have studied more. Right? <laughs> I should have worked harder. I, I should have practiced. I should have, with my guitar, I should have done more exercise. I should have gotten shape. I should have studied. You know, the moment of crisis when you need that extra stamina is not the time for preparation. Now, it's the only question that's being answered is, do you have it? And if you do have it, that reflects the amount of preparation. So, we're coming to these moments where where we are facing things. Now, Paul talks about what it is we're facing in Ephesians chapter 6. You know this really well. I'm going to read it just because it's good Bible. Good Bible is great. Ephesians 6, verse 12 to 13 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Man, I, I just, that's so, such a beautiful truth. Realize that this thing that God is doing, that God is not against the unsaved, God is not against the, even the ungodly, God is not against, like, uh, when I say that he's not against, I, he's not meaning the malicious uh, destruction. He wants them to be saved. But I tell you what, he is devoted in his warfare against principalities and powers. In the Old Testament, we used to say that God had a clear vendetta against the gods of Egypt because the gods of Egypt were spiritual wickedness in high places that had polluted the whole entire earth. But this is what our struggle is really against because the power, the central power of the kingdom of darkness is behind the scenes. He goes on, he says, Therefore, take up the whole armor that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. 
Having done all, stand. So, on the way here this morning, I was uh, thinking about someone um, who shall remain nameless. And I was thinking about their struggles. And I was thinking about how many times I've had to encourage them and how many times I've had to pick them up off the ground. And here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with that. Young believers are always going to need help. Spiritual children are always going to be need, needing help. But in Ephesians chapter 5, the, not the Ephesians, Hebrews, the Hebrew writer was talking to ones. He said, by now you should be further along. By now you shouldn't be needing this much help. Now, he wasn't doing that to condemn them. It's just a reality. Like, he's, he's really saying, listen, start wondering what's wrong with your faith because you should be doing more by now. You, there should be, in other words, you know, if you buy something from the store, you get it home and it doesn't work, you don't just shrug and say, well, I guess that's the way it goes. Right? You, you, you think, no, this should work. Let me tell you, faith should work. Faith should produce a certain kind of dividend, a certain kind of return. Faith should be able to accomplish certain ends. And, and part of what God is doing in this journey is saying, listen, he's asking you a question. Is your faith producing what it should produce? I ask myself that question every day, all the time. We're, reading, we're singing these songs here this morning about God. You deserve it all. You des- he deserves it all, right? And I'm thinking, okay, sometimes these words are hard to sing because you have to ask yourself the question. You have to ask yourself the question, is, is he getting it all in my life? Is he getting, do I really, I, I mean, I'm not putting this on anybody else. I put this on myself because to me, I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking me. In other words, what yet have you not let go? What yet have you not relinquished? And here's the, the optimum question is why? Why, given the absolute theology that you have, that he deserves it all, he deserves the glory that's, that's due him, what is it that stands between you and giving more? Let me tell you, faith, true faith, brings us to that place. And so when I was thinking about this particular family that has struggled, and given the numbers of years they have been in the faith, I'm thinking, I wonder if they're asking themselves this question, why do, do I, am I shaken so easily? Why do I struggle? Why, when things don't go my way? You know, you were up here just a minute ago, Paul, and you were saying these exact words, and we were elbowing each other because I'd already told Chris what was on my heart. Because he, you were actually talking about this thing, about faith and unbelief and being shaken. You know, the reality is there's a place where you're never shaken. There's a place where you are firm. There's a place where you lay down your life where you, uh, you, you believe in him unto death, where you're not afraid of dying. So anyway, I came up with two questions as I considered people who struggle incessantly, people who seem to have lost the foundations of their faith, who when circumstances come along start to question the validity of God, 
or the validity of their faith or the validity of their traditions or the validity of their stand or start to get into why me? Why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? You know, any kind of shaking like that suggests something other than what faith should provide for us. So here's, here's I broke it down into two questions. What is hindering faith? What is hindering faith when a, when a believer struggles? Like what is, if, if and I'm going to talk about what faith does for you, but if faith is shaken, it's because faith, right, if, you, if it should be greater than it is right now, what is it that has delayed the development of your faith? And there's very specific answers in Scripture. Listen, if you've been a, a Christian for 20 years, right, the Chances are you should be further along than you are right now. And I say that for myself, so I'm not accusing anybody. I think I should be further along. So does my wife. (laughs) Anyway, and all the husbands and wives said, yeah, I got one of them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with taking stock of the present reality of your life. And there shouldn't be guilt or shame or condemnation involved in this. It's just a reality, a reality check. Check yourself to see whether you are in the faith or not, right? You know, evaluate, look at your, your, the, the fruit of your life. But here, here's, here's how I like to s- sum up what faith is. And here's the second question. What is really happening when faith occurs? So what hinders our faith? Why aren't we further along? Why aren't we able to stand in the evil day? Why aren't we able to, you know, wrestle against principalities and powers? Why do we always make it about people? Right? That's, that's, a, that's a failure of faith. When you keep looking at people, your eyes are going from the uh, nat- invisible realm to the natural realm. When you're focused on people, when all your do- disappointments and your struggles and your circumstances are engaged in crisis with people, relational crisis, strife, circumstance of divisiveness, that means you're not looking at the right things. You've made flesh, A, your strength, there, and B, your disappointment, and that's why you're struggling with flesh. So, The answer is when people struggle in their faith, when they're shaking, what's really happening is the visible world is overshadowing the invisible world. What's happening when faith is shaken is you lost sight of the world that you should be able to be in contact with that determines what reality actually is. Let me tell you, there's two realities playing out right now. There's one that's temporal, that's passing away, and by definition, by biblical definition, it's not really real. Oh, it's really happening. We're not Christian scientists here. It's really happening. We're not denying it's really happening. But the point is, with the kingdom of heaven, uh, there are laws that have to do with the kingdom of God that supersede and nullify the laws of of the natural. You see a shadow of that a little bit, you know, when, when it comes to flight, for example. We know the law of gravity, right? When planes are flying, they're not denying the law of gravity. We're not, they're not saying gravity no longer exists. They're saying, no, there is a higher law that nullifies this law. And so when, 
when you are subject to lower laws, it's because you are not apprehending higher laws. And any effort to deny the lower laws does not help you getting into the higher laws. Faith happens by revelation. The question is, what realm are you aware of in this moment? What realm captivates your attention? What realm resonates with reality that you cannot be shaken from? Of this I am convinced. I know my Redeemer lives. When that superseding, overwhelming, higher law is actually apprehended by you, lower laws have no bearing. You're not denying them. You're not telling them they don't exist for others. But you are not walking according to them. Oh, and we could go a lot of places there. I've got to tell you. But turn to your Bibles. I want to focus. I'm going to focus eventually on Luke chapter 8, the hindrances of faith. And perhaps I should look at that right now. And maybe I will. Turn to Luke chapter 8, verse 5. And after that, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians. I love 2 Corinthians. But there's two parts of this question because because the, the first is when you have somebody who's been a believer a long time and they're easily shaken, why are they easily shaken? What is actually happening? There's a real answer. There's a tangible answer. There's a real world answer for a spiritual complex question. And it comes from understanding the way faith is produced. All right? If, if you want to know why something doesn't work, you know, you always ask somebody who understands. When I don't understand why I'm not getting electricity to a certain part of my house, I go to somebody who understands electricity. And so uh, Jesus is giving one of these quantum overriding uh, kingdom principles. He's saying, listen, you need, if you want to understand every other parable, if you want to understand every other mystery, you need to understand this one. So this is a central issue. It's the parable of the sower. It says the sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed uh, some, when he, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled upon, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns and sprang up with it and, it, and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sp- sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And he said to these, he said, the, uh, the, and when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I, I just noticed that. He cried. I mean, that means he, he said this with exuberance. You know, I want, I want you to know that when Jesus was talking, when Jesus preached, he used intensity. Maybe not every word, but I tell you what, when, when intensity comes, it's like because there's, there's, there's a something to be grasped, and there's an earnestness in the Spirit that you need to grasp this. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. God, I pray right now, Father, I pray for everyone languishing in a place of semi-harvest. Lord, everyone languishing, Father, in a world where their gardens should be full and they are not, where there should be overriding fruit, where they should be 
bustling with the activity of spiritual vegetation. God, I pray in Jesus' name that the realization today that there is a real answer why faith is not flourishing. There's no accident. There's no absence of cause. There is a cause, and it can be tracked down. And a part of what the enemy does to people as he gets you in a place where, you know, this kingdom thing is kind of enigmatic. That means, that means it's all kind of mysterious. You don't really know why things don't work. You just got to, you got to trust God. And when they say trust God, that means throw it up in the air to obliviousness. Which is not really trusting God at all. So if you've done that, you know, just repent right now. and Determine, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. God wants you to be informed about why things are not working. And you can't hide behind, well, you know, the, the ways of God are so mysterious. <laughs> that only applies to unbelievers. He said, he said listen, I has not seen nor ear entered into the heart of man the things that have been prepared for us, but, and then there's a big but, but he has now revealed them to us. Now, if you go back and look at the context, That us is not everybody. The us is the apostolic teams, the the apostles and those that they were discipling. And then there's a trickle down of knowledge from there. So, you know, I always have to say that because there's always somebody in a crowd saying, yeah, I know all things. You know, all things are mine. I understand all things. Well, no, it's, it's there for you to understand. But when Paul is saying it's this understanding has been given to us, it's being given in layers. So, anyway, I, uh, I should focus on my sermon. Uh, his disciples asked him, saying, what, what does this mean? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> they haven't got a clue. What, is, what, is it, what are you talking about? So they're out there in public, Jesus sharing these things. And you know what? Jesus knows Nobody understands him. Goes to the exhortation I gave earlier. Why is it everything we do is geared to making sure we're not misunderstood? What is, what is the orientation in us that torments us? The people at work, well, I don't want to do things too spiritual because it might freak them out. Freak them out. Shock them. Lean into the supernatural unapologetically. Maybe the reason they're not saved is because you spent all your time apologizing and telling them it's reasonable to demand that you understand everything about the kingdom of God and, and, and him before you step in. Because you're saying, that's what I'm doing. Anyway, that's a whole other sermon. Now the parable, so they don't understand. It. So he's, he's, oh, let me, let me share this little part because this is important. To you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is given in Parables. That seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Did Jesus speak in parables to become clearer? 
or to be enigmatic, to hide his meaning. I, I, I get so annoyed sometimes with the stupidity of intelligent people. Because there's always intelligent people that can't seem to understand the simple things of the kingdom of heaven. And the simple things of the kingdom of heaven is this, that Jesus did not speak in parables to become clearer. Well, it's an agrarian society, so he used, you know, earth and agricultural symbols. No, he did not. Some of you are wondering about that. He did not use agrarian examples to become clear, to explain it to farmers. He did it so that they did not understand. Why? Because this thing takes revelation. Takes revelation that the veil of misunderstanding has to be specifically removed for you to see the kingdom. You can't be lulled into it by facts and precepts and data and information. The veil has to be removed. If you want your neighbors to get saved, the veil has to be removed. Well, let me dumb it down for you, you say. Let me make it clear. I don't want you to misunderstand what Christian's about. No, go ahead, misunderstand. But I'm praying that desperation and hunger will break through and the veil will be removed from your life. There's a reason why the church is so enigmatic. Uh, well, that's not even the right word. The, the church is so powerless. Because we build everything around what we understand. And we try to introduce something that they don't understand, and we wonder why they balk. So we based everything on, you are the king. Uh, you must understand everything. I would never ask you to do something or be a part of something you don't understand. When the culture of the church is built around that, why are we surprised when people can't lean into the mystery? So anyway, <laughs> here's the parable explained. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear it, and the devil comes and takes the word takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring forth no fruit. You can read the last one. But the first three are essentially this. They're saying, they're saying these are the three essential reasons always why faith is not produced after it's been sown into a place. Three reasons why uh, your faith doesn't increase. They're right there. And you can trace it to one of them. But the dominant one for us in our culture is the last one. Because we live in a prosperous society. We live in a, in a, in a world where the promise of the good life supersedes everything. The promise of success, the promise of ease, the promise of riches, the promise of, you know what, and 
well, are you saying God's not against us having a good life? No. Because in the Bible, it says that there were two types of people when it talked about people of faith. There was those who apprehended through miraculous provision the promise and those who died not having apprehended. But it says they're both in faith. So God has purpose in people that in this present lifetime demonstrate the full measure of the bounty of God through their existence. But God is also glorified by those who lay down their life and the promises and are martyred or killed before they get to enjoy the good life. But what the enemy tries to do is to torment us, to lure us with the promise of the good life as being the only evidence of faith. The only the only uh, indication that we really believe at all is that your life is going good. And that is a mistake. So I want to get back to the, the two main things. Right at the beginning, I said, said there's two questions. What is hindering your faith? Well, we just, we just read that. One of these three things, and we could probably spend a lot of time going into those, but because but, they're, they're, they're very key. You know, Paul, Jesus said to the disciples, to the Pharisees, sorry, he said, how can you believe that seek glory and honor from, from men? In other words, right, the fact that you need to be honored. Let me ask you a question. When you fear being misunderstood, when you fear being categorized as one of those non-intelligent believers who are thus and thus and thus and thus, when you do everything possible to distance yourself from the rest of us in the sight of the world that mocks, is that a, is that a manifestation of faith or unbelief? Is that a condition that encourages the production and growth of faith inside of you? The torment that I might not be liked. The torment that I might be considered dumb. The, cor- the, tor- the Bible says that, you know, the, the foolish things are what God has chosen. Yeah, but I don't want people to think we're unintelligent. Okay, then. That atmosphere is against faith. It's like trying to grow junipers at minus 40. I don't know what a juniper is, but <laughs> hallelujah. So, and the second part is, is there are two worlds, two realities, and your ability to stand in faith comes from the fact that you behold the one that's important. That you have fixed your eyes on the invisible, that you have a clear sense that this other realm that is hidden from the eyes of those believe is not imaginary, does not need to be apologized about, but it is more real than the world that everybody else is seeing. And as you are convinced of that, you stop apologizing about it. Because you know, what do you know? You know that one day, this too shall pass. One day, the firmament is going to be consumed with a fire, and a new heaven and a new earth are going to be created, and everybody, everything that was hidden is going to become clear. And in that day, people are going to say, Oh, you knew. Oh, 
But my fear tells me I must be, I must be understood now. I must be lauded presently for my wisdom and my insight. It seems to be a constant tension in our intelligent culture. And again, I'm not against education. I'm not against certain realities. I'm not against real science. But I don't believe that the sincerity of the human mind can ascertain truth. I don't believe that the deductive reasoning of the minds of man can lead you to revelation. And that's why the most horrendous darkness that has ever come on the earth has not come on the heels of stupid people doing stupid things. It's always been through the intelligentsia, through the academic amia, through those that are the highest IQ'd people in the world. These are the ones that tend to be duped. So, so this is what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you'll see what we're coming to around faith. Because when somebody is shaken in their faith, it's because they lose sight of a certain reality. So this is the exhortation of Paul. He's actually writing about faith. He's writing, if you read the whole fourth chapter, he's writing about the revelatory process, how faith begins inside of you and how you're born again as the light of God shines inside of you and brings something. But he comes to verse 16 and he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Wow. Therefore, we need. Hey, there might be something in here about how to stand in the day of darkness, how to stand in the day of trial, how to stand in the day of testing. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Here's what I've been experiencing these last years. And I've been a Christian a long time. But I'm telling you, what's, what I'm realizing is this thing called Jesus, this thing called an eternal kingdom, is not just a vague idea in the back of my mind, a possibility mixed in with other potential happenings. This is, it is I am aware of it. I am fixed on it. It is concrete. It speaks to me. It defines my priorities every day. I don't have to turn my heart I don't have to say, well, remember, Jesus is real. Remember, one day you're going to have to go to heaven and be accountable. Remember, I don't have to remember because there's something that is increasingly before me all the time. And it trumps every other reality. I remember as a young Christian when I'd be discouraged, when I was, you know, losing heart, I would I'd always turn it because I, I would think, I need to go to back to one of those kind of glory moments when we were in worship and Jesus was was reigning and I could just see him so clearly and it, it was so real so I'd go to that passage particularly in Revelations where it's describing Jesus and he, how he revealed himself to John and all the language it's so poetically sort of over the top and you know his feet burning like brass and you know like like a fire in a furnace and a sash and the white and I'm thinking look at his eyes his eyes and I would try and recapture you know make real for myself emotionally (laughs) anybody ever did that you know it's like yeah I'm not sure I really believe I don't have to do that anymore 
I don't ever have to do that because there's something that is so fixed. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Faith is seeing with the eyes of the Spirit the world that is not obvious to everyone else. There is an ability to see that. But, but there are distractions to your vision. The three primary causes of unbelief are a world that defies the reality of what your faith is trying to tell you. It's a world that is seducing us, tormenting us, tyrannical in its leverage to, around everything that we have to say, no, this is what is real. Father, in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name. I, I, I feel I've come across a moment, and I just saw it again. There's something around finances. There's something around possessions. There's something uh, around the things we own that we have. And God is saying, listen, if there was ever a time to sow, if there was ever a time to sow, if there was ever a time to give, it's right now. It's right now. Hear this, church of God. If there was ever a time to sow, if there was ever a time to release what is in your hand, do it now by faith. Father, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are unseen. See, the things which are seen are easily shaken. Moments come and moments go where those things that seem to be tangible suddenly disappear. And we wished we had done something else with them. Father. He goes on and he, he writes, this is Paul. For we know. That if our earthly, earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Let me ask you a question right now. Believer, let me ask you a question right now. How real is that conviction? How real do you know? If terrorists jumped into this room with Kalashnikovs or guns and threatened to shoot you and kill you, would you present your life right now as a sacrifice? Would you be, would you be terrorized and be running and screaming for your uh, lack of permanence? Or would you boldly stand in the way of those people to preserve others? What, what enables you to do that? Is that is courage a conviction born of some image of manhood or is it a knowledge that there is a permanent reality that you cannot take me from? Obedience of faith comes from a knowledge. I was watching something the other day. A prophet, a well-known prophet, was just on and he was he was presenting something and he was saying listen what's going on with the church 
<laughs> What's going on with the people of God? What's going on with those who are purportedly meant to represent faith? We've got a sickness called COVID with a 99% successful, uh, you know, success rate of surviving, right? And people are running and hiding from the 1% possibility. And yet in the New Testament, the New Testament church, he said, you know, he gave a number, but I think it was too high a number. But let me just say, the number for survival in the New Testament church in the Roman era was less than 99%. 99% would have been a guarantee. They gladly would have embraced. And there was no number representing what are the chances you're going to die as a martyr? What are the chances you're going to die uh, in, in, the, in the Colosseum uh, at the mouth of a lion? What are the chances you're going to be crucified? What are the chances you're going to be imprisoned? What are the chances you're going to lose your life? And let me tell you, 99% would have been a dream. So his question is, is this fear representative of something? Is the tyranny of 1% possibility that you might be compromised, that's too much for people who really actually believe that when I leave this world, I have a house made, ready, eternal in the heavens. goes on he says let me read the verse verse again because i love this for we know that if our earthly house this tent is destroyed we have a building from god how convinced are you of that how ready are you to just step over into that realm now i'm not encouraging anybody to precipitate that to to make it happen, to hasten that day, <laughs> right? There's a day we should hasten, but it doesn't have to be the day of your death. But to be unafraid, to be so filled with the conviction that there's nothing here I need to hold on to. If I needed to, I could face a bullet for my faith. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed. What, what, what? Not only am I not afraid of it, he said that there's something inside of me yearning, groaning, leading into eternity. And it's something that overcomes your natural carnal mind gradually as your faith grows because it is an apprehension of a realm that does not pass away. It is a reality that doesn't have to deny the temporary, but supersedes in all of its laws. It supersedes all in terms of what it promises. Father, give us that. He says, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. That's a whole other teaching. Threw it in there. little caveat. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. 
Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us a guarantee of the Spirit. A believer that loses sight of an eternal dimension, a reality that is superimposed upon the temporal, a believer who is shaken in their confidence easily, simply, well, when, oh, nobody's loved me lately, people have rejected me, I've run into a conflict with my best friend, I'm not sure there's a God. I'm just saying, there's something wrong. If you've been a believer for 10, 15, 20 years, and you constantly have to be babied back into faith, well, what, are you, what, are you, what are you proposing, Pastor Mark? I'm proposing repentance. I'm proposing a look at the foundation. I'm proposing that you look at the causes, the three major causes, what erodes faith. And I guarantee you, one of those is undermining the foundation of a vision that God wants to give you. There's an unshakable faith. And here's, here's the part that really hurts my heart is that we built an entire culture on unbelief in the church. We have, we have treated unbelief, we have treated people's propensity towards fear as, you know, as this bobo that our, our two-year-old gets, and we kiss it and nurture it, and they're 45 years old. You know, there comes a point where when you get a hangnail, We say, suck it up, pull it out, move on. If you're two years old, I'll give you due care, but not for the rest of your existence. We have created an environment, and go back, go back to the parable of the sower and the soil conditions that impede the production of faith. Because Paul is saying, listen, there is a conviction, a natural conviction, a natural orientation, a revelation of an eternal realm that's natural, increasing, and it taps into desire and passion. It causes you to not look as in, on, on with importance all of the accolades of men, all of the prestige of being important in the eyes of men, all of the wealth and the rewards of seeming success. It just, that stuff loses its place. So my question is, is it losing its footing in your life or does it shake you? Are you easily shaken? There's a church that's coming that actually believes. And here, here's the thing. It's not, it's not one of these qualifiers that says, okay, you fit, you don't, you fit, you don't, you fit, you don't. It's you can fit, and 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 you can fit, if you diagnose the problem correctly. Well, the problem is the church just isn't enough of what it ought to be. Let me tell you something. You are the church, Mr. Incomplete. Right? Yes, the church is not that. And beginning with you, let's say. The, the most glorious thing about the gospel of God 
Is it going to take anybody and make them into something if they're willing? That's 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 the thing that we're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to show us what was possible, and He's going to have to wipe the eyes from that wipe away the tears from our eyes because we're going to realize. Oh, it wasn't my wife's fault. It wasn't the pastor's fault. It wasn't the fact that our musicians were crappy. It wasn't, it wasn't because of my denomination. It wasn't because I, I grew up this. I wasn't in the in crowd. It wasn't because I wasn't tall enough. It wasn't because I wasn't musical. It was because I refused truth that had the power to change me, that had the power to, fix, to pull me into the orbit of an eternal realm. And I... I chose otherwise. That's the present reality that none of us here in this room are a victim. That God has afforded us opportunity to survive, to overcome, to transcend every single circumstance. And you know what else that goes to? The circumstance facing our country right now. The circumstance that's facing our country. God is not looking at the unsaved. God is not looking at the world and saying, bad. God is looking at the church and saying, where is the light? Where is the power? Where is the glory? Where is the presence? He says, if my people who are called by my name would turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land You see, and I've shared this so many times before, and Chris has an analogy. He's going to get up in a second and share this. But but we are the light of the world. When you get up in the morning, and it's not very bright out, do you say, well, where's the moon? Well, how come the moon is not shining? Because you know the moon doesn't shine unless it's reflecting the sun. What determines darkness is the absence of sun. We never blame the moon for it being not light enough. Ever. Well, there are two lights in this world. One is reflective. The other one is the sun. The sun determines how bright it is. And we, the church, are the light of the world. We are the sun, effectively. We are the manifestation of the only light that others are going to walk in. So if they're not seeing the light, perhaps we should make it a little brighter rather than blaming them. Oh, you don't understand. There's so much unbelief in my country. You don't understand. It's because there's, we're too rich. You don't understand. It's because of X and Y and Z. I said, threw that in there for the, our American friends. X and Y and Z. Father. So, Chris, why don't you come? Here's an example of a dramatic change of events that happened in a country because the church recognized they were the bottleneck. They were the bottleneck. I've shared this before here, but I think it's worth sharing today. Um, I think most of us are familiar years and years ago that uh, in Uganda, one of the most devastating things they had was the LRA, which was the Lord's Resistance Army, which was basically kidnapping uh, children from 
not Christian, not at all, that's right, uh, but kidnapping kids from villages and whatnot, and they were turning them into child soldiers. And this was going on for years and years and years. And the government, you know, sent the military after them many times, but to no avail. Nothing changed. The church prayed for years and years, but nothing shifted or changed. In fact, there was a moment where the church decided that they were going to take the leaders from all the different churches, and they were going to go and repent on behalf of the Lord's resistance army. And so what they did is they went to all the main staging points that the LRA was at. And when they got there, they would take buckets of water, and they were actually escorted by the military. Think about this. These were pastors from the nation. And the president of Uganda sent the military with the pastors because they were at the end. They didn't know what else to do. Nothing they had done had worked. So these pastors go out with the military. They go to these main staging points across the land, and they take buckets of water, and they start pouring them all over these areas where the, Lord had, where the LRA had done these horrific acts. And they started praying for the nation. They started praying for healing for the nation. They started praying for restoration of the nation. And good things happened. Let me tell you something. At first, the military thought they were absolutely crazy. The military wouldn't even step onto the land that the LRA was on because they believed it was cursed. They wouldn't touch it. And they would watch these pastors and say, they are crazy. They're just walking onto the land, and then they're pouring buckets of water. I mean, before this thing had ended, most of the military that was with them all got baptized. All gave their lives to Jesus Christ. But still nothing changed. The LRA was still there. Well, the pastors went back to a city called Gulu. When they went to Gulu, they had invited two or 3,000 people, and they wanted to do this as a celebration to the end of praying for all these areas. When the pastors all got there and they were with the people, they began to worship. All, the, all of a sudden, the Lord spoke to them. He said, they're the problem. It was the believers. And in that moment, God revealed to these leaders that the believers were actually still functioning in forms of witchcraft and idolatry, that there were things in their life that still took precedence over God. So they did an altar call, and they asked them that day to come and lay down those things at the altar. And I mean, there's a lot of witch doctors and a lot of weird beliefs in Africa. You guys know this. But they came and they started bringing all these items to the altar and repenting where they still were giving their time and their energy to the things, to the ways of the world, believing that that was the solution. And it never was. Well, three months from that moment, for the first time, the LRA left Uganda on their own and left to the Congo. On their own. No military needed. Nothing. It's the believers it's the faith of the believers that changes everything. Everything. Everything in our world right now. It's the faith of the believers. And it's a doing away with those things that have gotten in our way, those forms of witchcraft, those things that we've given more of our time and attention to than the Lord. 
I convince myself it's okay. Constantly. Constantly. It's just a little bit of it. It's just a little of this. Come on. But really what it comes down to is this. We're in a battle. And I think we're making a decision. Are we going to join the battle with the Lord? Or stay and enjoy those things? And I just feel the season is upon us to lay it all down. Lay it down. Ask him what it is. Don't rationalize it, but ask him, what is it? What is the stuff? What am I holding on to? What am I refusing to give up, Lord? And may we fully turn our attention to him, because then it will change. Amen? You don't have to be a bad Christian You don't have to be a complete reprobate. You don't have to be a loser in terms of your faith, a disappointing example of a son or daughter for this to apply. This applies to every single one of us. The capacity to believe is always most likely going to be better. So we can embrace this truth of the responsibility of the untapped power of the kingdom of heaven that God has held in reserve for a generation. We can do that without shame, without condemnation, without belittling ourselves. We're saying, God, I want to take an honest look at what's hindering my faith. God, if nothing is impossible to him that believes, I want to admit right now there's things that seem impossible to me. There's things that seem unlikely in my life. That means I could use some more faith. Who doesn't share in that conviction? No, we all do. So let's respond to the Lord. You don't have to beat yourself. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to. You're saying, God, okay. I want a spirit of truth. I want you to come, and I want you to look at my heart. I want you to begin to reveal things I did not know is there. Are there ways that I do not love you, honor you? Are there things I'm stubbornly refusing, insolently committed to, holding, even though I'm saying all the right things, even though I believe myself to be a pretty good Christian? That's the issue. We don't need pretty good Christians. We want the full measure of what's possible. Father, we think about the parable of the sower and the things that resisted or discouraged or... Hindered the increase of faith. There's stuff that's actively hindering faith. God, I feel, I feel the power of the works of darkness. I feel the resonating power of the kingdom of darkness actively against you, actively against this church. 
I feel the warfare. Father, oh God, we cry out. Lord, we want to see the chains broken off the church of Spruce Grove. We want to see, God, the chains of confinement broken. Oh, we want to see. Come on, keep pressing in. The ALR, realize this. I need a little more volume. I need a little more volume. I need to hear myself. Realize this, that the ALR in Uganda was operating because of the principalities and powers that were empowered by the devotions of the saints. Principalities and powers are empowered by devotion of the people, and we know which ones are completely devoted, completely under the banner, the weight, the influence of the spirit of this age. It's not them. It's not these ones that matter. It's the ones that are purportedly to be under the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but who have elements in their life. And it might not be witchcraft items. It might not be little idols. It might not be things that you would associate specifically. But there are things that represent your passion, your heart, and your devotion. What is it? that competes for your devotion. Don't come to God and say, well, Lord, I'm not going to love pornography anymore. Don't come to God and say, Lord, I'm not going to love sin anymore. Don't come to God and say, I'm, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Come to God and say, God, I need you. Change my heart. Change what I love. Change my passions. Change. Change what I can't change. Change me. Listen, there is a reality in front of us that's so critical for this moment. When the Nazis were rising in Germany, somebody came to Hitler, it was purported, and it was suggested, well, what about the church? And he dismissed the church. He dismissed them because he knew that they would not hinder his agenda. They would not have the courage to rise up. They would not have the courage to say no, that there was an element. I don't know how he knew that. But there was an element where he already knew the church of Germany was under the hypnotic control of principalities and powers. And Hitler was already informed of that fact. He did not perceive them as a threat. He did not perceive them as a potential oil, a fly in the ointment. And right now, so much of the church walks no differently than the world. But, but, there's a people about to break free. Ah, uh, from the, 
from the gravitational pull, the invisible sway, the invisible control of principalities and powers. Lord, we're contending for breakthrough. There's a, there's a voice out there, and I hear it so much in the church, and it is this defensiveness that says, and it's particularly leaders, because are you questioning my devotion? This is the, are you questioning my devotion? Are you suggesting I'm not as committed? I'm telling you, I lump myself in with every one of you. I declare today, we are no better than the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And when he offered them another realm, when he offered them something greater, they contended, we are not born of fornication. Are you questioning the way we do church? Are you questioning the intensity of our worship? God, there's got to be a church. There's got to be a a, a cross-section of leaders in Alberta, in Spruce Grove, in Canada, let's say, no, we are walking in a half, in a quarter, in much less than what we should. Oh, God. God, help us, oh, God, we're stuck. Help us, oh, God, we're stuck. Help us, oh, God. Pastors, ministers, business people, caught, 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 caught. Father, I pray that you would deliver the church from the traditional understanding of repentance, from the traditional understanding of making lists of sins and good deeds and trying to minimize the list. God, we want to say, Lord, we want the conditions of our heart, the quality of the soil in which the seed is planted to change. Oh, God. Oh, God, we're, we've been focusing on what's growing in the garden and, and saying, oh, we don't want these things to grow. We want these things to grow and not these things. Well, that was never the issue. The issue was the condition of the soil, just the condition of the heart, not what was presently growing. That was the issue. God, turn us, Father, to an orientation that says change the very essence of my capacity as a believer. Ah, God, change. Change, Father. Change my heart, oh God. You know, I I know we should be done, but I there's there's a spirit of revelation in the room right now. And I just saw something about the three conditions of the soil. You know, when there's a hardened ground, when there's stones, when there's weeds, all of these things create a climate where only things that live close to the ground can can survive only small things and uh, so the enemies the, the thing is the seeds of the kingdom become greater than every other every other thing the, you know the the planting of the the mustard seed or whatever it is it becomes greater the seed of the kingdom 
is not going to produce something that's content to stay low, close to the ground. It needs more space in the soil because when it grows, it grows high and broad and wide. You know, the, these other soil conditions are content to have a tiny little narrow space because weeds can exist in the spaces between the rocks. Weeds can exist in the tiny particles of soil just next to the hard ground or in the cracks between the hard ground. But the kingdom of God needs a larger, clear space of, of a broken, unfallowed soil because it's going to produce something that eclipses in size and significance and power the minimalistic nature of weeds and things that grow close to the ground. Father, change. Change the quality of our hearts. We, we have been so oriented around, oh, let me get rid of this tiny little weed here. I shouldn't like that weed, but I do. Lord, we're oriented the wrong way. Change the quality of the soil. Change. We want to love better soil. Better soil will cause the seed of the kingdom to sprout and grow with such ferocity. I know that we've gone longer than we normally would. And I feel we need to transition now, but I'm telling you, there is a current flowing in this room that has the power to so elevate everything about your faith today. Father, we want to seize this moment. So take it with you. Go back to those scriptures. Give God the soil of your heart. Let him deal with the weeds and the hard ground and the stones.